You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> hey man, it's good to see all of you here today. I love this church. I love preaching at the river. Today I want to talk to you about the laws of the new covenant. I'm going to get as far as we can, but you need to understand there are laws that this new covenant works by. Not laws for constraint, but laws for blessing. There's no thou shalt nots in the new covenant. There's only the you shall have, you shall receive. All is yours, praise God. Amen. The new covenant is not so much about what you can't do, but it's about what you have. If you get over on the what you have, you can live without the what you can't do. You will live without the, without the what you can't do. But there's five laws, there are five laws in the new covenant. One is called the law of faith. There's the law of the Spirit, the law of righteousness, hang on to your seat, the law of the tithe, it's in the New Covenant, the law of Christ, five times he uses this phrase, the law of, and attaches it to something else, the New Covenant. All of these are found in Paul's doctrine. All of these are found in what Paul wrote to us. There is one more that's in what we call the New Testament, but it's in the book of James. And we know that James was written to the diaspora, the Jews. So when he talks about the law of liberty, he's really talking about the fact that the law of Moses brought them liberty, and it did. To them, it was a law of liberty, as Pastor Curtis taught us when he was here last time. It was a law of liberty for a slave. Are you understanding? And that's what James calls it, the perfect law of liberty. Well, he's talking about the law of Moses. Because the, the Jewish covenant, even the new covenant, is still based in law by faith. Yours isn't. The law was not made for you. The law was made to get rid of you. You know, when it's, it's easy to, for people to misread the Bible. They read the Bible as believers, and they look at, look at the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt, and they put themselves in the family of Israel as though they're the children of Israel. I have news for you. You were not in the children of Israel. They don't typify you. You're the Canaanites that they went up there to kill you're the Canaanites. You're not the Israelites. You're the Canaanites. You were alien from the promises of God. Oh, until. Until when? Until Christ came. Amen. When the cross took place, the crucifixion of Christ took place, that changed everything. I get students all the time who ask me questions. And I'm telling you, God brings us smart students. Some of them are so smart, they're frighteningly smart. 
But I take questions from the floor as very few of our professors dare to do. But I do because I'm not afraid, but I should be because they're very smart. <laughs> I just don't have sense enough to be afraid. They ask tough questions, tough questions. And uh, I, invariably, every new semester in the principles of faith I teach, I get this question, well, what about Job? And I normally have a marker board, and I write Job on the left side, and I write you on the right side, and I draw a great, great big cross in the middle. And I just ask the question, did anything happen between you and Job? Anything significant happen between you and Job? That's why they call this a new covenant. They don't call it new. Listen. If I asked you if you got a new car and all you had done was gotten dents removed from your old car, you say, yeah, I got a new car. And I walked out there and see your same old wreck, <laughs> but you got a couple of dents taken out of it. Did you get a new car or not? No, you did not. <laughs> it's only new if it's been replaced with a new one. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. They didn't call this new covenant the new covenant as a rehash of the old. That help anybody right there? Yeah. New covenant is a whole new deal. Praise God. Yeah. Not based on how you perform, but based on how somebody else performed for you. Thank how well Jesus did. Praise God. And He did real good. Jesus did so good. He, he, we ought to worship Him because He did so, so good. <laughs> Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. We're going to find the first law, and I'm going to spend most of the day on this. I don't believe I'm going to get to all these laws today. Did you notice there's not ten? How many are there? Isn't that interesting? There's only five of these laws. I told you about the ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins, what it means. I don't know if any of you were here, all of you were here when I shared this. The parable of the ten virgins, what, all, what it means. I don't know all that it means. Matthew chapter 25. But I knew one thing it means. There were ten virgins. And Jesus makes the hero of this story a guy who's about to marry ten women at once. I'm not Jewish. I don't understand that. Do you understand that? How a guy's a hero who's marrying ten virgins at once? Well, all right, Gentiles, be honest. You don't know that much about the Bible, do you? Not when it comes to what Jesus did. The only way we know anything about what Jesus did is because what Paul taught us, what he meant. Because those are the kind of things that bug me. How is this guy the hero marrying ten women at once? Any of you Gentiles got any good ideas about it? No, we call that, we call that sick. They, the Jews just never did call that sick. They thought that was all right. Y'all, perfectly all right. The guy that wrote, Thou shalt not commit adultery had two wives. Ha hello! <laughs> and he wasn't Mormon either. He was a real believer in God. How did he do that? I don't know. I'm a Gentile. I don't propose to know. Am I helping you? But I do know 
I do know types and shadows and meanings of allegories. And when Jesus said there were ten virgins going to marry this one bridegroom, we notice that those ten, if you see the number ten, it's always indicating the law. If you see the number five, it's always indicating grace. Ten virgins, only five of them had oil enough to go in. You're not saved by the law. You're saved by that which has oil enough to take you in. Grace. So we talk about the law of faith. Law of faith, Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. Where is boasting then? Verse 27. It is excluded, excluded. By what law of works? Paul says, no, but by the law of faith. By what law? The law of works? And this whole passage, if you read it, he's talking about the law of Moses being the law of works. Nay, but the law of faith. There's a law in the New Testament called the law of faith. There's a law. Faith has, has specific dimensions to it. And certain things it does for you that, that, that keeping the law can't do. Like this. The number one thing is it changes your status with God. It changes your status with God. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. You, you can put a lengthy passage up here. We're just going to follow this through. Starting with verse 22 in Matthew 15. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Okay, now what's she doing? She's worshiping, worshiping him, saying, Lord, help me. She calls him Lord. She worships him. And for that, he says, But he answered and said, It is not meat, not right, to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. For her worship, she gets called a dog. So much for worship being your way in. <laughs> Verse 27. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Ah. Ah. What's she done here? She agreed with his word. She said, You are right. She just believed whatever Jesus said to her. Even if he described her as a dog, she set herself in agreement with whatever came out of his mouth. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Bid unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. 
Now listen, he already said it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, did he not? He said this is not right. But it seems like he just did it unless this woman is no longer considered a dog. Jesus isn't going to do anything that's not right. There's no change in him. There had to be a change in her. Our point here today is that it changes your status with God. Faith changes your status with God. It changed this woman's status with God. She got what she needed because Jesus no longer could look at her as a dog. When he heard her say, truth, Lord, truth, Lord, he saw something else in her. I think he saw Abraham in her, his other Gentile friend. Yes, Abraham was a Gentile. Before he was circumcised, he believed God. Matthew 7, 29, I make, make that Mark 7, 29. Mark 7, 29 tell, re, tells the same story. But it says here in Mark 7, 29, And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, that devil has gone out of thy daughter. The devil has gone out of thy daughter for this saying. He said, O woman, great is your faith, in Matthew 15, 28. But, but it's in Mark's telling of the story, For this saying, go your way. So what, which did he say? He said both things. Woman, great is your faith, and because you've said this, great is your faith, and because you've said this, listen to me, you might have great faith inside you, but if you don't activate it with what you say, you're never going to get what you need from God. You activate what you believe with your mouth. This is good preaching right here. You activate what you believe with your mouth. It's how you win souls. That's how you win your friends to Jesus. That's how you convince the devil you ain't, you ain't playing. Amen. That's how you satisfy your own soul with good things. By saying what you believe. The Apostle Paul put it like this in another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we believe and therefore we speak. It's as though... Like Jeremiah said, I made a vow I would not speak in your name. But your word was like a fire shut up in my bones. So I could not help but speak. Glory to God. You get yourself full of the word, you'll start talking. Amen. You get full of the word, you'll start talking. You'll talk, you'll talk, you'll talk to your friends say, go home. The second thing it does is it gives you access to unmerited favor. This is the second thing that faith does for you. The law of faith gives you access to unmerited favor. Genesis 15, 1. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture here today. If that's all right with you all. Gives you access to unmerited favor. I told you all about how I got healed from pancreatitis. My daddy, who wasn't really all that... Most people wouldn't look at him and say, oh, that's a fireball Christian there. No, he wasn't. He was saved, but just barely. No, he was saved eternally on the inside, but he didn't look like it very much most of the time. I mean, if, if, if anything bad happened, if you, you were, wanted to, if you were in a, ever in a fight, you'd want my dad to show up <laughs> and be on your side, of course. 
He was that kind of guy. He was a truck driver. Had been in the, in the, in the Army. He was military police. He did a lot of fighting in the war, but not with the enemy. He fought with his own troops. <laughs> had to knock them out and drag them out of bars and stuff like that. <laughs> but God used him to save my life. He just prayed. Prayed and believed God. Genesis 15.1 It gives you access to unmerited favor. I'm going to tell you why I picked this story to talk to you about. After these things, Genesis 15.1 After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the servant of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus, a Syrian. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And God brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to Abram for righteousness. Now what did Abram send up? This is before his name was Abraham. What did he send up to the Lord? Did he send up righteousness? He sent up faith. That didn't mean that everything in his life was right. Y'all know he was kind of a liar, kind of had a habit of lying. I don't know why I pick on Jacob so much. His, great, his, his, father, and his, his father and Isaac and his daddy, his grandfather, were both liars about their wives. Guys, don't marry the woman so beautiful you have to lie about who she is. They married gorgeous women. They were afraid that there's always somebody trying to take them away from them. Marry a gorgeous girl, but don't lie about who she is. No, she's mine. She's really mine. These guys couldn't stand it. Abraham had lied before this, before this moment about who his wife was. I got news for you. He's made righteous in chapter 15. He does it again later. Righteous, faith man Abraham lies again about Sarah to a different king altogether. And God attacks the king for it. You've always been told God's waiting to get you because you sinned. Not if you're in covenant with Him, He ain't trying to get you. When you're in covenant with Him, sin doesn't mean a thing to God. Not that that gives you any kind of license. All I'm telling you is, you are in His family. When God is no longer just your God, but is now your Father, He defends you as though you've never done anything wrong. You may deserve to die, but that's not on His mind. His mind is on the one who did die for you. So that took all the deserving of you to die away. Because Jesus died to take away that blame that's on you. Glory to God. Can I get a good amen? amen. Anybody heard the gospel lately? 
I don't win souls to talk to people about Jesus because I'm afraid they're going to hell. That was William Booth's deal, the founder of the Salvation Army. He had a vision, had a vision in the night of people on a, in, a, in, a, in an ocean, in a sea, dying, and he was on a ship, and anyway. So he started the Salvation Army to save people from hell. And it worked pretty good for a while, but after a while they just started selling old clothes and raising money to try to feed people. And pretty soon their, their fire for saving souls from hell diminished. It always does. That is not a good enough reason. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, there's always somebody you wish would go to hell. Yeah, there's always somebody you, <laughs> God, that's why we use the phrase so often, go, I'll go to hell. <laughs> you get tired of hating people going to hell. Sometimes you just want them to. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just telling the truth. Not, 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 not anybody in the room ever denies that, because you're honest. How many of you hope Hitler's in heaven? <laughs> you don't. One guy does. <laughs> we mostly, you know what I'm saying? He could be. I mean, he could, we don't know what he did right before he died. We don't know. But we don't think of it like that. We think he, if he were to hell, he deserved it. It's not a good enough reason to win souls because people are going to hell. That's not a good enough reason. The only good reason to win souls, to win people to Christ is to make sure that the one we love gets paid for the sacrifice he made. As the Moravians, the greatest missionaries that ever lived, the Moravian brethren who won John Wesley to Christ. John Wesley. As they said, their motto, they screamed it out as they were being sold into slavery themselves. We're going to win, gain for the Lamb, the prize worthy of his sufferings. You win souls to bring people to Jesus as your gift to Him. That's what keeps you faithful in talking to people about the Lord. Your love for Him. Because your love for people will wane. Because people are the problem. How many of you know your life would be a lot simpler without so many people in it? But I'm going to take all the people in the world away except you. And I'm going to give you the finest mansion on top of a mountain. Pick Switzerland. It's, they said it's the most beautiful place in the world. Build you a billion dollar mansion on top of the mountain. <coughs> I'm going to give you 500 of the finest automobiles ever made in a garage. A heated and cooled garage. Eat off the floor garage. I'm going to have down in your pasture the finest animals, horses, cattle, thousands of them in a pasture down below on the, at the foot of the mountain. I'm going to give you a helicopter so you can be almost anywhere you want to go at any time, a Learjet. I'm going to teach you how to fly it. I'm going to give you everything you could probably, every elect electronic game, guys. Oh. You walk in the house, say, Computer on, I'm here. It'll say, hello, Ralph. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you everything. 
every, every musical instrument, whatever it is you like, I'm going to put it in this house for you and give you everything. But I'm taking away all the people of the world except for one more. And I'm going to tell you there's just one other person on the planet. I'm not going to tell you where that person is. What are you going to do? You're going to leave that luxury that I just gave you? You're going to leave that beautiful mountaintop setting? You're going to leave your home, your billion-dollar mansion, and your cattle and your horses and your fine cars and your toys? I had one student say, Dr. Holler, I have to admit, I'm, I might play with the toys for about two weeks. <laughs> I said, but eventually, you're going to go find another person. Sure. Why? It helps you put in perspective what's really worth living for. You see why Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come for you? He saw you walking around planet earth looking much like his father having been created in the image of God and acting like you had no earthly idea how to live. It wasn't an act. You didn't know how to live. Been enslaved by the devil, the arch enemy of heaven. Jesus had to do something about that. That's why he came for you. That's why he's not trying to send anybody to hell today. He sees you as his prize. You going to heaven, you need to hear me say it. I said about once a month. You going to heaven is not how God rewards you for doing good. That's a lie of religion that has lived too long in Oklahoma. You don't get to go to heaven because you did good. If that was the case, Jesus died for nothing. You go to heaven. You going to heaven is not about God paying you for what you did. You going to heaven is about God paying Jesus for what he did. Glory to God. He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. It wasn't righteousness that God sent up, that Abram sent up to God. It was faith that he sent up. And God took that faith and looked at it and called it righteousness. Let's put righteousness in the book. I know all I have here is faith, but I'm going to call that righteousness. To God, faith doesn't make you righteous. Faith is righteousness. When there's faith in your heart, you are righteous. You can say it makes you righteous, but that's not how they said it here. They said faith is righteousness. It's the same thing. Verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land. Now what we've said is, it, faith gives you access to unmerited favor. Listen to this. this is all, that's how you define grace, unmerited favor. To give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer. Everybody help me count the sacrifices. Hold up, hold up your hand. A heifer, a she-goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Look at there. His faith... Gave him access into this grace. This grace 
which is five sacrifices representing the grace of God, and he cut them into pieces. He didn't, did, did not divide the birds, but he killed the birds. Divided all the pieces and put them out on altars. And, and the Bible says that a burning flax, a, a torch, if you will, moved throughout those pieces. The presence of Almighty God, the fire of God, was in that flesh and blood. He was predicting that Jesus was going to come with the grace of God, full of grace and truth. He said unto take me the heifer of three years old, a goat of three, she goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. Later on in, the, in that passage it says that what I just told you about that torch that came and walked through those pieces indicating to Abraham that God would be in his midst in flesh and blood full of grace. Now let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Is it all right if we study the Bible a little bit? Yeah. I like studying the Bible. Yeah. Romans 5, 1, Therefore being justified by faith. We found it. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. We have access by faith into this grace by the Lord Jesus Christ, into this grace wherein we stand. Now verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, so He died for the weak. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, so he died for us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Did you see the words much more in verse 9? Much more then, being now justified by... How many of you believe that you are now justified by the blood of Jesus? You feel secure in that? That right now you're justified? He says, much more. Much more. Everybody say those two words with me. Much more. If you right now believe you are saved and justified by the blood of Jesus, you should much more believe that He's going to keep you all the way to the end. Much more, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Most Christians think they get in free, but if they stay in, it's all up to them. That's what we're taught. God lets you in for nothing. It costs you everything to stay in. What kind of used car salesman is he? I'm sorry if you sell cars. I'm just... I know you tell preacher jokes. So I'm... Verse 10... For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, everybody say much more, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. If you believe the death of Jesus was enough to bring you in in the beginning, why can you not believe that the life of Jesus is enough to take you all the way to the end? Much more! 
it's powerful enough to save you in the beginning, He's much more powerful enough to keep you all the way to the end. You shall be saved. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Most of us have trouble with this because we're not told the truth up front. We're not told it's a simple, childlike faith in what Jesus did that saves. We're told, we're, we're made so aware of sin. We're told to repent of our sins over and over and over and over until sin is so magnified that we cannot focus on righteousness. We're always focused on sin. And if they brought you in that way, you have trouble with it all your existence until you get over on to faith. If you stumble at the start, you have no chance of finishing strong. Back in the 90s, there was a great horse. I think it was the 90s, maybe early 2000s. I don't remember exactly what year it was, more than 10 years ago. There was a great race horse. He won the first race, the, the, the uh, Kentucky Derby. He won the Preakness in Maryland. And he was slated to win because he was lightning fast. I mean, this pony could run. Had every reason to run. And he usually jumped out in the lead, and he, and he didn't like dirt in his face, so he stayed out in front. Got to the big dance, the Belmont, the mile and a half. It's a killer for a speedster horse. And that's why very few of them can do it, because you've got to be really, really fast like a sprinter. You've got to have big lungs like a, like a distance horse. And they knew this, this guy was going to win it. His name was War Emblem. Anybody here ever heard of War Emblem? Uh, the reason you know of him is because you study, you, you, you keep up with racing. Hardly any hands went up a couple of hands because we don't remember the ones that almost make it. Do you remember why he didn't make it? Why he didn't win the third race? He was going to win it. He was fast as lightning. He stumbled and his nose touched the dirt. He stumbled right out of the gate. And all the other horses got to jump on him. And for the rest of the race, he had dirt in his face and could not concentrate. He didn't like dirt in his face. They said that about him. He just does not like running from behind. He won't, he won't run right. Because he stumbled at the start. That's what sin consciousness does when you're first born again. You always got dirt in your face. You can't run the way you're supposed to run with dirt in your face. How many of you are thankful you had a church that preaches the grace of God? Well, you should have been more enthusiastic about it. <laughs> the third thing is it makes all things possible. The law of faith, thirdly, makes all things possible. Glory to God. Mark chapter 9. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 18. Wheresoever he taketh him, he tears him. Talking about this boy who was demonized. This man was so torn up about his son. And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams and gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered and said, Jesus did, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? What, what was the problem? They were, they lack of faith. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him unto him, 
And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Ugh, I've seen this. There's nothing funny about it. It's a sad, sad condition. I've seen several people like this. And asked his father, I'm in Mark, did I not tell you? I'm sorry, Mark chapter 9. Verse 21, Mark 9, 21. And he asked his father, Jesus, asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Now here's the religious question. God, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is the typical religious prayer. Oh God, I know you can do it. If you can, if you would, help us. Have mercy, oh God. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, okay, there, there. That's not what he said, is it? Look what he said in verse 23. It sounds so callous. It sounds so harsh if a regular preacher says it to you. But you need to hear the words of Jesus. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Not about my power. Not about my willingness. It's only about what you believe. Not about God's power. Not about his willingness. It's only about what you believe about him. In the most desperate situation this man's ever been in, his own son is being tormented by a demon, throwing him into fire and everything. Oh God, if there's anything you can do, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. My question, my power is not in question. My willingness is not in question. It is the will of God for you to be well. It is the will of God for you to be prosperous. And I, I feel like somebody here is getting a hold of this. Today, it is the will of God for you to be healed. It is the will of God for you to be free from demonic oppression. It is the will of God for you to be prosperous. It is the will of God for you to have every good thing that it was ever promised in the Bible. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. All that's conditioned there is what you'll believe about it. Verse 24, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Poor guy couldn't even make up his mind after he confessed he believed. I believe, sort of. <laughs> kind of do. Got my fingers crossed, I hope. Verse 25, When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the Spirit cried, and tore him sore, and came out of him. And he, and he was as a dead man, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Glory to God. Glory to God. It, this thing of faith allows you in to the realms of impossibility to make them possible. I don't know what you're facing today, but I know you're facing stuff. And I don't teach you faith for condemnation, ever. I never teach faith 
tell people, well, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be in the shape you're in. No, it's just silly. That's just goofiness. That's just more religious nonsense. And if you make, if you make a, a legal thing out of faith, you're, you're sinning against God. I don't do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have hope today. You can start believing God right where you are and come out of this. You can believe God right where, right where you are and come out of this. Amen. I know this. I've been so attacked physically and other ways that I can't even explain to you the kind of trouble I've had. But I'm never going to say, Lord, if it's your will, heal me. That's, that's, that's bull. <laughs> that's just bull stuff. I won't say the other word. I would if it was just us guys, but I won't in front of women. Trouble comes to people of faith. They have all kinds of troubles. But fear not, little ones. Jesus said, I have overcome. Today is a great day of hope for you. Whatever trouble you have, you can be free from it.